Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the book of Genesis, we find that man was created and he was created to worship the Lord. Adam had a great fellowship with the Lord in the cool of the evening as he walked with the Lord and he had great praise. He honored the Lord. He desired the worship of God until he fell. The instigation of the devil and willful disobedience, he deprived himself and his posterity of such power, such desire, such ability. So man in his fallen state then has no desire for the things of God. Man is running from the Lord. Man desires the worship of the creation, creatures. He's a creature worshiper. All men must worship. Every individual must worship. We're created to worship. It's part of the very constitution of man that we are worshipers. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, he makes clear that men either worship the creature or the creator. If he is fallen and dead in his trespasses and sins, he is a creature worshiper. He worships the creation. If he is one who was born of the Spirit of God, he is one who worships the creator. He does not worship the creation. He despises that idolatry. Man in his natural fallen condition is an idolater. He seeks his own God. Isaiah makes the, uh, the comment about a man who has fallen in his, dead, in his trespasses and sins, but he chops down a tree and he warms himself with part of it as he throws it into the fire and cooks his meal. In the other, he sets up on a banister and he worships it and says, You are my God. It's man making an idol and an image of the things that please him. And that's ultimately where it comes down to, is man wants to do what's pleasing in his own eyes. He is one who wants to be God himself. That was the whole temptation. And beloved, that's a temptation in our lives as well, because sin is still within us. There is still the rebellion against the Lord that is within our hearts. That's why you have struggles as Christians. You have a desire and a delight and a joy to worship the true and living God. And at the same token, you have a desire to please yourself. And that's why we are called to feed and nourish our souls unto everlasting life with the word of truth. It gives us strength. It gives us power. It transforms the way that we think. It teaches us the things that are important and the things that are unimportant in life. And so the more that we feed upon the Word of God, the more that we grow up in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we are resisting the things of the world. We're putting the brakes on it. And it's a difficult thing in this fallen world. The temptations and the difficulties are all around us. Look, at the world throws that at us constantly. That you have a new car, but you know what? It's not as good as the neighbor's car, and you ought to have what your neighbor has if you're going to really be happy. And you're not going to be happy unless you have that new car that he has. So you've been coveting the things that your neighbor has. And it causes a great consternation in the soul, much difficulty in the soul. And then we become those that are disgruntled, and we become discouraged, and we think that God has not given us what we truly deserve. Well, that's right. If you're in Christ, he's given you what you haven't deserved. He's given you life. What we truly deserve is damnation. But we become disgruntled. Think about the envy that goes on in our lives. The covetousness that happens within us. The dissatisfaction for the things that we have. Things that work. Things that are fine. And yet it's not the newer and better. I can remember when Apple brings out their new iPhone. And long lines of people spending the night on the sidewalk to be able to be the first to get a new iPhone. That's crazy. 
That is ridiculous stuff, but that's the way that the world is. And it can, we can easily get caught up in that. So we must resist. The apostle in Ephesians 4 is telling us to put off the old desires, the old dispositions, the old loves, the old affections, and to put on the new man which was created in true righteousness, knowledge, and holiness in Jesus Christ. Now that's a daily activity. It doesn't happen overnight. <clears throat> it's throughout the whole Christian life. And the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly assail us in this spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So we're not doing the things oftentimes that we want to do. Paul in Romans 7, with the mind, I want to serve God. I want to love Him with all of my being. And where is the struggle? Well, the struggle is that I also want these other things as well. I find a tension, a law that sin is with me, the one who desires to do good at every step of the way. But we're not idolaters. Uh, we are those that, you know, people will say, uh, you're not going to come to the church, it's full of hypocrites. Now, I mean, I'm sure there are hypocrites in the church, people that put on the mask and go through the motions. But a hypocrite is not one who confesses his sins. You understand that? A hypocrite is one who denies he has sin. The hypocrite is one who thinks of himself he's righteous and he puts on the mask and goes through the motions and does all the things and doesn't trust Jesus Christ as his righteousness. That is hypocrisy. That's not the believer. The believer readily and clearly, openly confesses that I have broken all the commandments of God and of myself I am worthy of damnation. I'm worthy to be dropped into the pit of hell. And if not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, there go I. So I'm not to despise and look down on other people. I haven't made myself to differ. The Lord has brought us in. And he's brought us in, beloved, to be true worshipers. He's redeemed us. He created us in the beginning, it was with, you see, with Adam, with Eve, to be true worshipers, to worship the Creator and to enjoy Him forever. And then through the instigation of the devil, when they fell, they became the creature worshipers. And that's where we are. And so we have with the Apostle Paul, uh, guilt, grace, and gratitude. You find that in Romans 1 through 3, the guilt of man. Uh, chapter 4 through 11, you find the grace of God. 12 through 16, gratitude. We were redeemed as those who are guilty and vile and corrupted, as those by the grace of God to be a people of gratitude, a people of worship, a people of praise. You think about this, how is your praise meter? We, we have meters that register and that test and measure certain things. Where would your praise meter be? You see, it's one thing to gather together corporately to praise the Lord. It's another thing to be a people, as we saw this morning, that are every day praising the Lord. And the everyday praising the Lord prepares us as we gather together corporately to have exuberant worship. To really extol the Lord and to lift up our voices in prayer and praise to Him. It's the grace of God that redeems us from the guilt before the living God. To be a people of gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. And that's what you find here in Psalm 150. As I've said before, Psalm 1, Psalm 150, uh, these are not sequential. These are not in any particular order. Uh, these are simply arranged by uh, the putting together the Psalms. As they put the books together, they arranged them in a particular way. Not by the date or chronologically, um, 
but these seem to be, to me, sequential in this sense of the beginning and the end. I mean, it's, it seems to me logical, seems spiritual, seems that that's the way that it should be. As man starts, and he is to be a follower of the Lord and him alone, and as he ends, it's a life of praise and thanksgiving. Some have said there is no title for this psalm. Uh, some have thought that it was a psalm of David. It's the end of the praise psalms that we find in 146 through 150. Uh, but nevertheless, if we don't know who the proximate author is, we start, certainly know the ultimate author is the Lord. And the psalmist begins with this. And these are what I said, 146 through 150. These are individual praise songs uh, given by the psalmist. And he says, praise the Lord. Uh, Hallel is the word praise there. It means to lift up your voice in an acclamation to the Lord. It's a shout. You find that at sporting events all the time. People are shouting for their teams. So it is for the people of God. We are to bring the acclamation and the praise to our God who has redeemed us from all of our sin and misery. It's impossible. It is nearly impossible for us to not be a praising people. Because when you reflect upon your sin and what you truly deserve and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, it's impossible that you can't be praising Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He put a new song in our mouth, praise to our God. Many will hear and will be glad and will rejoice when we sing. So the praise goes to God, to the Lord. And like I said, we come to funerals. People always want to tell us nice things about the individual. No, I'll tell you about the Lord and the one who redeemed this individual. That's the one that I'll tell you about. If you want a eulogy, if you want the sweet nothings about that, you do that on your own time. When we come and we gather and the ministry of the word and the book is open, it's to praise the Lord who has redeemed us. We give thanks for the Lord in redeeming an individual. And maybe in their lives as they walked in truth, walked by faith, walked in honor and glory to God. And we praise the Lord for that. He alone is worthy of our praise. And the word, uh, the praise the Lord, it's Yah, Yahweh. Uh, this is the God that we praise. And where, uh, notice you find in verse uh, 1, where we are to praise God. In verse 2, why we are to praise God. Verse 3 through 5, it tells us how to praise God. And then lastly in verse 6, it's who is to praise God. So notice, first of all, um, where are we to praise God? The psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary. Now, many people, maybe you included, would say we are going to the sanctuary of the Lord. This is not the sanctuary. There is no more sanctuary as in of the old covenant. It's no longer here. We are the people of God. They were types and shadows of the reality of the true temple, which is Jesus Christ. That's what they were uh, prefiguring is the true temple, which is Jesus Christ. And we are the temple of the living God. We are the sanctuary of God. The people of God. God dwells in us. We find that in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, the Spirit of God dwells in us. And we are the temple of the living God. And so uh, in the Old Covenant, this administration here, the praise was to be in the sanctuary. As they gathered together in worship of the Lord. This is the earthly sanctuary. 
Sometimes speak about something in the sky in that, in that sense. It's the earthly sanctuary. It's the, where the people gathered here on this earth. God was to be praised. He, there was to be much acclamation given to His name. So when the people come together, this is the purpose. To raise our voices in praise to our God who is worthy of all honor and glory. But he also says that he is to be praised in the mighty firmament. So in the expanse of heaven. The mighty firmament. Notice that. And we, we have an expanse of this universe. And as I've said before, there are the heavens. You have the third heavens that the, the scriptures speak of. First heaven being that which you can see with the naked eye. The second heaven is that which goes beyond what we can see. It's a spiritual realm where the scriptures speak about angels and the demonic realm having combat, a warfare, an invisible war that takes place uh, that we're, we're not privileged to. But it's there nevertheless. The third heaven, the Apostle Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians 12 as the dwelling place of God, the paradise of God. Have you ever thought about that? Christ is in the human body. He is fully man. He is fully God. He has the the two natures in one person. He has a full human body. It's glorified, but it's still human, still local. It's in a place. It's somewhere within this universe. That's where paradise is, where Christ is. And so in the mighty firmament, uh, we find this, I think, in Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. God's name is worshipped and praised and honored simply by the created realm. And man is to respond to that. We are to see the created realm and we are to worship God. We are to praise Him for all the things that He has done, what He has created. So in the earthly sanctuary, as they would gather together, God's name was to be extolled. And as they looked out in the night sky and they saw the wonder and the beauty that God had created... They were to give praise and honor, even as the stars in the heaven sing to sang, they, they sang His praise, as it were, with the glory that they shined forth. And so, here it is where God is to be uh, proclaimed, where God is to be praised, where God is to be worshipped. Now, secondly, notice uh, verse 2, why is God to be worshipped? Well, praise Him for His mighty acts. If you're going to praise Him for His mighty acts, you're going to rehearse Old Testament history. You're going to go back to the creation account. You're going to read of God in the beginning that the Spirit of the Lord hovered above the deep and God brought light out of darkness. And God said, let there be and there was. And God created the beasts of the field. He created the birds of the air. He created all the creepy crawlies of the earth. God created the deep seas and all the fish and all the sea life that is in there. And the crown of God's creation is He creates man as His image and His likeness. And when you go back and you rehearse and account God's mighty act of what He has done and the glory that brings forth to praise His name, uh, we are to praise Him. We are to give Him praise in the creation account of the wonder of God's creation, the beauty of God's creation, the expanse of God's creation, the diversity of God's creation. There are so many things that God has created, and He's created for our enjoyment, and yet to bring Him praise. That we don't stop at the creature, we go beyond that, and we give praise and thanks to Him with this wisdom, marvelous wisdom, that has created these things. Uh, Think about the different flowers that you see in this world. 
Think of all the different trees that we have and the fruit trees. Uh, think about uh, the, the different varieties of birds uh, that we see all the time. And in different areas of the country, different types of birds there. Um, seabirds, that, that which dwells within the ocean, that which is freshwater. We find fish the same thing. And notice the strangeness of this and the marvelous work of God that he has salmon that will swim into the ocean. And yet they're a freshwater fish. And yet they'll be able... How does that work? I have no idea how God does that. But he does it. What's a duck-billed platypus? What's that all about? Uh, That is to engender praise to our God. Look at the variety of hummingbirds that we see. It's it's just a marvelous... the, uh, The creation that God has created. And when you study those things, and even the psalmist said, they are studied by all those who rejoice in the Lord who take joy and glory in Him. And you see the variety of that. You can't but help praise God for all that He has done. And so, here for His mighty acts of creation. How about His mighty acts of uh, the exodus in, in redeeming His people, of calling His people out of slavery? And he with a mighty hand, and he brought the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And the Lord is going to redeem his people. He is going to bring them out of Egypt. And they are going to come out and worship and serve me. And we are to read those accounts, beloved. And as we do, it engenders praise for what a magnificent God who rescues his people. You know, as I started with the call to worship this evening, Psalm 40, he has pulled us out of a miry pit out of the the miry clay that sinks us down. God has done that. God has redeemed a people to His name. Will you not rejoice in that? Praise is a new song that the Lord puts in the heart of His redeemed. And they can't but worship and praise and give Him thanks. We don't do it as we ought. I understand that. But it's progressive it's growing our praise our thanksgiving our honor our worship of the lord is growing more and more and it ought to be and the more that we're rehearsing and recounting these things in scripture the more our praise is going to be that's uh that's the big problem i think in the life of the church is that we're not doing due diligence in the scriptures it all starts here beloved this is the means by which god has given this is the means by which god communicates to us and we neglect the Word of God, and it's, it's seen in the life of the congregation. It dulls our praise. It dulls our worship. It dulls our desire. It dulls that, the inspiration and desire to worship. It dulls it. it. It causes it to be dim. It causes us to be sluggish as people. This is where the Spirit works. I've said to my kids in the catechism class, you know, you play tennis on a tennis court. You swim in a swimming pool. You play football on a football field. Well, this is the realm that the Holy Spirit works in His Word. We have realms for all kinds of things. but This is where the Spirit works. In and through the Word. Not apart from it. He works in and through the Word. And it's been long standing for those that name the name of Christ that have denied and neglected the Word of God. The Word of Truth. Yeah, as I said this morning, precious treasure, thou art mine. But we don't treat it like a precious treasure. And then it shows up in our worship, doesn't it? We're not excited about worship. You know when you should start preparing for next Lord's Day? Is today. 
We get done with this worship service and you begin preparing your heart for the next Lord's Day gathering as we gather. How do you do that? You do that privately. You do that individually. You do that as a family and have preparation by reading and studying and singing the word and looking to the confessions and rejoicing in our God and preparing your heart then to enter in corporately with the people of God and to honor and to glory and the praise to the one who has redeemed us. And so the mighty acts of God, they're all through Scripture. Read of them. Read of where the Lord rescues His people time and time and time again as they cry out to Him. The mighty acts of the Lord. We praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So notice this, that it's not only what God does, and we can fall into that trap. We can fall into the trap of that I don't have what I think I should have. And therefore, I'm not going to praise the Lord. Or we just simply give thanks to God because of the good things that He gives and not because of who He is. Uh, parents, a good exercise would be to go through with your, your children uh, the, the attributes of God and to look at the attributes and study the attributes to take them one by one. Find a good book that outlines the attributes of God and speak to your children about that, about who our God is. Our God is wondrous. God is amazing. Our God is awesome. This is the God that we worship. The God who you can't even plumb the depths of His being. That He is infinite. Uh, This this God is what's called the aseity of God. He is self-existent. He's depending upon nothing outside of Himself. This is the God that we worship. Who needs nothing. I, I need all the time. I'm always in need. I'm a needy individual and so are you. We have this farce that we're independent people. Nobody's independent. We're all dependent on one another. Look at the things that happen in this world. Cut off one supply and look what it does. I mean, it's hilarious, right? To drive to Grand Island and see a a bunch of those case tractors sitting out there. I I don't know how many hundreds there were out there. Why? Because one little chip, one little supply chain chip stops all those machineries. I mean, everything is interconnected. It's woven together. You know, you, you stop the fuel and what happens? What happens to the price? Look at the prices that we have today. It's amazing, isn't it? Things that have doubled. Uh, doubled in airline fares. Doubled in canned goods. Everything is doubled. You can't find things on the shelf. Why not? Because one thing affects another. They're all interconnected. We are a needy people. We are dependent upon the Lord every moment of every day. And we are in need of one another as the body of Christ. We need one another. The eye needs the ear, the ear needs the nose, the nose needs the mouth, the mouth needs the head, the head needs the body. I mean, there's a need that goes on in the human body. There is a need for one another, and so it is. We're a needy people. God is in need of nothing. All of the praise that we can engender as the people of God doesn't increase His glory. God is the glorious. He's infinitely and eternally glorious. God is inscrutable in His providence. He is the God who works all things, all things, not some things, not most things, all things He works together for His glory and the good of His people. I mean, how do you unfold that? How do you wrap your mind around that? How do you wrap your mind around the fact that God has created us and He's created us to be able to choose and to desire things? And yet we know, as the scripture says, that he has predestined even our free choices, but we're not puppets. 
We choose and we willfully choose and there is a determination and it's a self-determination and we are determined to do certain particular things and you're not constrained to do them but God has created in such a way that He has predestined all things that come to pass but yet men freely choose the things they desire and He holds them accountable for what they choose. Now you say, I don't understand that. Well, good, I don't understand that either. But that's the God that we have to deal with. That's the God that nothing is enclosed in front of Him. All things are naked and open and exposed to Him. And He knows the thoughts and desires of all men. His greatness is unsearchable. He knows a word on your tongue before you even speak it. How awesome is that? And when did He know it? Not yesterday. He's known it from all eternity. That's the God with which we have to do. Teach your children that. That's praise to our God. Our God is awesome. He is an awesome God. And so we praise Him according to His excellent greatness because our God certainly is great. Now, uh, verse 3, he moves into how we are to praise God. And this is a bringing together of all the instruments. People will say, well, why don't we have these things? We actually don't know exactly what these instruments were. Uh, the first thing is just praise him with the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet was the shofar. It was a ram's horn. I don't know any of you that have a ram's horn in your closet, do you? So you can come and bring that on Sunday morning and blow the ram's horn, the shofar. We don't have that. But they certainly had that in the Jewish worship, and they used that. And there was skill to be able to use these particular instruments. As you who play instruments know that. Just because you're able to play the piano doesn't mean you can move right into the guitar and it becomes something easy to do. That has a whole dynamic of its own that you need to learn. But there is talent that God gives. God gives the, the ability. Uh, Tubal Cain was one in the Old Testament in Genesis who was given the ability to craft all kinds of instruments. And he did. And so they were to praise him with the sound or with the blast of the trumpet. Playing for the glory of God. Again, they praised him with the lute and with the harp. Now, the lute is something that's referred to as like a vase. I have no idea. I don't understand what that means. How do you play a vase? What, what do you do with that? You know, I've seen people play music with glasses filled with water into certain levels, and they make all different types of sound. I've seen the, the bongos. I've seen other types of things that you're looking at that. What are you going to do with that? And next thing you know, they're playing with that and making noise and melody unto the Lord. That's one of the things that they had was to call the lute and the harp. The harp has to do with, the harp has to do with things that, that twang, that make that twanging sound. That's what the harp was doing. And so he was to be praised with that as well. Now, it took skill. And they... Uh, you know, often it's said that they only played the musical instruments during the time of sacrifice. I don't know how you prove that. I mean, here, this is not what the psalmist is calling for. He's calling for the use of all types of instrumentality for the glory of God and what you have been gifted and skilled at by the Lord because the Lord is the one who gives the gifts. Isn't it amazing how God works within the human culture? Um, I knew a man once who knew 14 different languages. 14 languages, I mean fluent, proficient languages. That would be fantastic. I would love to be able to do that. You know, the, one of the most difficult things that you can have is lack of communication. Where you're, you're trying to communicate with somebody and they don't understand what in the world you're talking about. 
and they're a barbarian to you and you're a barbarian to them. One of the things that I think the, the Americans, I think what we need to get over is that because somebody doesn't know our language doesn't mean that they're stupid. You understand that? Because I could drop you down in France and you would be the stupid one because you can't speak their language. And you would say, well, I'm not stupid. Well, neither are they. Uh, language is a gift that God gives to be able to speak and to understand. And some are proficient in many, multiple languages. But so it is with playing instruments. Some can blow the saxophone and blow the trumpet and be able to play the flute and the harp and do all kinds of musical instruments. They're multi-talented in that way. And for the believer, we are to use all of that to praise the Lord. And so he goes on and he says we're to praise him with the timbrel. That has reference to a tambourine. Uh, You know, the shaking of the tambourine and and the bells on there and how much it makes. Now, all of this is to be exuberant praise, loud, blasting acclamation to the Lord. I mean, this is a real ruckus unto God, isn't it? It's a bringing together a harmony of all of these instruments that God's name would be exalted and praised. You know, there are times in the Old Testament where they gathered for worship and the music was so loud that the earth shook. (laughs) That's amazing. Why isn't that now today with the people of God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I prepared to worship the Lord? And am I going to worship the Lord with all the strength that I can muster? Why do we not sing out the glory of His name? Why are we people that are so concerned with what everybody else thinks? You know, we don't sing out because, well, I'm not a good singer. Who are you singing for? You singing for your neighbor? I mean, we're not here auditioning for America's Got Talent. We're here singing praise to our God. And we are so concerned about what everybody else thinks that we never get around really to that exuberant, loud, blasting praise of the people of God in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. This is a God who has redeemed us. He's redeemed us and called us out of darkness for this very purpose. That we would lift up our voices unto Him. Not being concerned. We are to make a a joyful noise unto the Lord. All you lands, all the people are to make a joyful noise to Him. The psalmist says also that he praised the Lord with dance. David danced before the Lord. Now, I don't believe that that was a worship service. That was a bringing back of the, the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. And David danced before the Lord as the anointed king that brought glory to God. He was despised by many for doing it. But notice that David didn't care about what everybody else thought. What he cared about was what the Lord thought about what he was doing. And he desired to honor and glorify him. And beloved, we've got to get over uh, the trying to be pleasing to men. You just have to get by that. You know what I'm talking about. We often don't get around to doing the right thing because we're too afraid that we're going to offend somebody. You know, when you come up to somebody who is an unbeliever and you tell them about the gospel, you are telling them uh, that they are outside the covenant of grace and they're under the wrath and curse of God and they're sinful people that are under God's wrath and curse. And they think of themselves as good people. You think they're going to be angry with you? They're not going to want to hear that. They don't want to hear that I'm a terrible individual before God and God is angry with me every single day. I'm a good person. 
they think. The gospel engenders anger and hatred from the world. Here we have Christ who committed no sin. There was no sin in his mouth. He had no sin in his mind. He has no sin in his works. And he's hated by the community in which he brings the gospel. He's hated and despised. They want to throw him over a cliff. What did he do wrong? What sin did he commit? I could see me being thrown over a cliff. But Christ, the one who has no sin, that's the viciousness and the vileness of the human nature. And so, beloved, get over trying to please men. It won't happen. You're not going to please men. Everybody at any time will be disappointed with the things that you do. Do what is right before the Lord and let your conscience be clear. I'm not here to be pleasing to you. I'm here that the Lord would be pleased that His Word is unfolded to His people. I'm here for that purpose. The audience of one, the triune God. God as being one, yet distinguished in three persons. That God would be honored, God would be glorified. That is primary. Not the appraise and the applause of men. That's that's futile. That's fickle. That's nothing. That's absolutely zero. But that God would be honored and glorified in the proclamation of His Word. And I've told you before, the biggest problem I think that from the pulpit today is that it's not what men say, it's what they don't say. It's what they don't say. They don't say, men, you know what? You've got to man up. You've got to teach your children. You vowed to that. This is your responsibility. It's your stewardship before God. And don't be a sluggard at it. And don't say, well, I do this or I do that. No, the Lord has given you time to be able to do it. And if you're so wired so tight that you can't minister to your family, then you need to let some things go. Because you need to prioritize the things that are important. And I guarantee you that on your deathbed, you're not going to be saying, I wish I'd have worked more. You're not going to be saying that at all. And yet, if we have this fear of men's faces, we're not going to tell them what they need to hear. That's what we need to hear. We all need to hear that. We all need to hear, stop being men-pleasers when you come to worship. Stop being concerned about your neighbor listening to the way that you sing. Sing out for the glory of God, that He would be honored. Stop being a fear of men's faces. This is what Paul says. If he was a man-pleaser, he could not be the servant of God. You can't do both, beloved. You have to be a worshiper of the true and living God. Speak the truth, walk in love, and let the chips fall where they may. And if people hate you and despise you, and they say all manner of evil against you, notice, this is what Jesus says, leap for joy and be exceedingly glad that you were persecuted for righteousness' sake. I don't see much leaping in the Christian community. Maybe because we're just not saying it. We're just not doing it. But here the psalmist is saying, do it. Blow the trumpet. Play the tambourine. String the instruments. And twang those things to the glory of God. He goes on and he says to praise Him with the stringed instruments and also with the flutes. That was the reed instruments. I mean, think about the variety here. So what he's getting to is all the types of instruments that man has made. Use them, put them all into employment to bring a great blast to the glory of our God. Because God has given us all the sounds and the sights and the smells and the taste to be able to enjoy for His glory. That is a magnificent sound as it comes together. That's what the piano is to do. We can't have all this orchestra here on the Lord's Day. 
But we can certainly make an instrument that is to simulate all of those instruments. And that's what the piano is to do. It's to simulate the flute, the tambourine, the trumpet, that shofar blast. It's to, to emulate the, the harp. It's to emulate the flute, the, the, all of the instruments that are given. The cymbals, the clashing cymbals. And that's what he says next. Loud clashing cymbals. That's a shema. It's to be heard. The cymbals are not a ching. It's a smashing together. And we like that. We see that in the sporting events. The guys slamming them cymbals together. It's exhilarating. It inspires and engenders praise of the people of God. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. And then he says, lastly, notice, who is to praise the Lord? Everything that has breath. God has given us breath, not for you to serve yourself, but for you to praise the Lord, to be able to breathe, breathing in and breathing out and giving Him honor and glory for the breath that you breathe, using your speech, using your words, using your singing, using your talents and your time to give praise to our God. And you say, well, that can't be an everyday thing. It sure is. It's an everyday thing. It's an every moment thing. Of every moment of every day, we are to have a mind that is so to be in tune with the worship of God that even when we're on our jobs, when we're out in the tractor, or you're in, uh, in the school, or whatever you're doing, building a home, that you're cognizant of the fact that God is to be praised through these things. Uh, we were talking in men's Bible study on Saturday, uh, just talking about building. And one of the men I was... I was asking him the question, you do what you do for the glory of God. Yes, you want to, in one sense, you want the person that you're building for to be happy. But ultimately, you want God to be glorified in the job that you do. And that's why you do it, that God would be praised. So let everything that has breath, everything that has the breath of life, everything that is living, every living thing, praise the Lord. Give Him praise. Give Him honor. That's the call of the believer. God has redeemed us, beloved. He's called us out of the darkness, out of creature worship, to be a people that worships the Creator. How magnificent is that? We all deserve to be left as creature worshipers, groveling in the mud, worshiping the sun, moon, and stars. We deserve to be left ensnared to idolatry. We deserve that. But God in His wondrous, marvelous grace sent His Son to incur the punishment that we deserve so that we might not be those groveling in the mud, in the muck and the mire, worshiping the animals and the four-footed creatures and creeping things of the earth, but that we would be worshipers of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Bring your clashing cymbals. Bring your tambourine. Bring your shofar. And come together. And use the instrument that God has given to each one of us. What is that? Your voice. And use that with all the tunes and the tones and the variation that we have to be able to sing. And sing out the honor of His name. Praise His name, beloved. That's what we have been redeemed for, to give Him praise. Amen. Shall we pray?